episode 99 of the Cricket Her Weekly. We're a bit zombified because we were up all night and this morning watching the second ODI, although thanks England for wrapping it up a little bit quicker um, because <laughs> it meant that we got to go back to bed about an hour and a half before we were expecting to. So cheers for that. Um, we're going to deal with the current state of the main Ashes series a little bit later in the episode, but we thought that we'd start by reflecting on the um, England A v Australia A uh, series um, that wrapped up earlier this week um, and most of the England A squad have now flown back to Heathrow haven't they Sid? Yep. Um, so you wrote a piece for Cricket Her about the, the England A tour didn't you? Yeah uh, so well overall um, it it was a it was a tough time for the for the England A team so there were six games there were three T20s and three one dayers um, one game was rained off halfway through um, and the other five games they lost. The, for the first T20 was quite close. Alice Capsi got a, a sort of 40 off 20 balls and, you know, uh, Australia chased them down with like three balls to spare. And, you know, it was a quite promising at that point, um, but things kind of went downhill from there, really, and they ended up not winning a single game. Right. So... <sighs> It was, uh, I mean, a little birdie tells us that uh, Charlotte Edwards, who was coaching the side at the beginning and has been there with them for the, the duration of the tour, said at one point after one of those matches, she said, girls, there are, there are good days and school days. Um, and unfortunately, there were rather more school days than good days <laughs> on, on this tour. Um, there were some, some bright sparks, though. So, you know, there, there are some positives in terms of individual performances. Taking so Alice the positives. Capsi, Absolutely. Alice Capsi had uh, a good T20 series. Um, Emma Lamb had a really good series. Um, you know, she's, she continues to kind of stake her claim as being the, the definitely the best um, potential option for coming into the uh, main England side at the top of the order. Um, uh, Lauren Bell had a good series and ended up getting a sort of call up into the test squad. They didn't use her in the end. Um, but Lauren Bell was one of uh, four players that they kind of kept behind at the end. So there were four players who didn't fly back because they were being kept in the England bubble with England keeping their options open in terms of taking them to the World Cup. That's exciting. So uh, they were Lauren Bell and Emma Lamb, we've just talked about, as well as Eve Jones uh, and George Owis. So all of those could potentially still go to the World Cup. Everyone else has kind of been released from the bubble. We understand a couple of people have stayed in Australia. They're going to go and play club cricket, which is probably you know a good use of their time. Yep. Much better than coming back here and you know shivering in Loughborough. Um, <laughs> and you know people, well, Alice Capsi has got you know needs to go back and worry about her A levels now. So um, you know and there'll be a few people going back to you know to finish their degrees and things like Lauren Bell. Back, but she'll be back to Loughborough. So you know, well, Raph, reflecting on it, mm. had. How do we feel? Was it was it essentially all a waste of time, or? Well, the results don't look great, do they? And I've certainly seen a few tweets basically saying, "Can any England team manage to win a match in Australia this winter?" Given well, actually, team? actually, Raph, actually, yeah, the England A team did win three matches in Australia. Oh. Against the England side in the, <laughs> the warm-ups. Okay, so all those those tweets are rubbish because an England team has been a team in Australia. It's just it was another England, England team. A team beat the England main team. Great. Um, 
Well, no, of course it wasn't a pointless waste of time. Um, these things never are, even if you get heavily beaten in every match that you play. And as you say, there was that one close match at the beginning um, and there are some positives to come out of it in terms of individual development. I think that just the experience of being in Australia will have been really valuable for some of those players. Um, for a lot of them, it would have been their first time on a tour like that. Um, so it was a great initiative and certainly something that they should absolutely be doing more of, as should many other countries. I'd love to see more of those kind of parallel tours and I don't really see any reason why there shouldn't be more of them absolutely um, so um there's that um i do it does feel to me i haven't kind of gone through the numbers um in terms of an age analysis but it feels like um the australia a side was um full of or it was a bit more full of players who have actually kind of earned their stripes a bit for australia the main australia side um so you know people like um, well, Elise Perry was making appearances for Australia A team during the T20 series, wasn't she, to try and warm up? Um, but um, yeah, people like I don't know George Redmayne, um, Elise Villani. Um, Villani's had a very long and successful career for Australia, obviously, and it's just kind of not quite making making the cut at the moment. Um, whereas the England A team. Um, yes, you know, there, well, there were some young players like Alice Capsey. Yes, a few of the others were kind of in their late 20s. But that we're talking about people like Eve Jones, for example, who's never really been been on a tour for England. Um, and so is therefore less experienced. Um, so I think that there was perhaps a slight mismatch in terms of experience um, between the two sides. With, I think we have to factor that in. And, um, you know, overall, yes, it does show that Australia have got much more depth than England. Did, is that something that we didn't know three months ago? No, it's not. Right. It's not surprising that Australia A are winning these matches um, because of the levels of investment that have gone into Australian domestic cricket over the last few years. And that's the reason why you've got players like um, T-Mac, Talia McGrath and... Um, and Alana King now um, in their kind of mid to late 20s who are finally coming good for the main Australia side um, previously, um, you know, they might well have both retired from cricket by now because they would have had to be making a living. Um, but actually, yep. as, as it happens, um, they haven't. And that's that's where you're getting this incredible depth from. Yeah, and the Australia, I mean, the, obviously the, the sides changed a lot even even during the games. That was one thing that, I, that remains a slight disappointment for me was that, that they weren't proper kind of full-on you know laws of the game games they were they were allowed to swap out players you had 12 yeah. players playing you had players that didn't bat players that didn't bowl um i would have preferred to see proper games but you know as it is they didn't do that and that's 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 okay that's a call they made um but you know what we largely had was you know an england team that were of a top three that had one cap between them so uh eve jones alice capsey and emma lamb in the top three whereas we had an australia team with um you know elise villani up top who's got 50 odd caps and you know will absolutely you know take to pieces you know bad bowling or, yeah. in, or in naive bowling anyway not even yeah. bad bowling but naive bowling in you know in wbbl and then georgia redmayne who's you know definitely you know she's like australia's next player you know down from the international side um, obviously, uh, has she got any caps at all, Georgia Redmayne? I yeah, can't remember she, offhand. But, um, didn't she play a game against India? But anyway, so she, she's only got a couple, if, if that. But the point is that she's, she's a very experienced player and a, and a player definitely is you know a step above yeah so, and you'd have to think that actually um that the the gap between the domestic setups is not necessarily going to change and in fact i do worry that it's only going to grow um you know we talk about 
England being five years behind Australia at the moment, but Australia seems to be continually investing more in their domestic setup, whereas it feels to me like what's happening in England is that um, there's this kind of almost this sense amongst those at the ECB, they're going, oh, well, we've already invested loads of money in the women's domestic structure over the last couple of years, um, and almost almost actually a little bit too much. What have we been doing that for? Um, rather than what I think happened in Australia five years ago, which was, oh, well, let's push ever more money in um, and we're not even at a point where our domestic structure is kind of 50% professional yet um, whereas Australia are already 100% um, and so and, and I just feel that the kind of um, the ethos or the the sort of philosophy at the ECB isn't necessarily pushing for that increased investment which is what we really need. Yeah there was a great article in the in the Guardian yesterday by Barney Rone about the situation at the ECB in a sort of opinion piece and what he was basically pointing out was that you know, the ECB are in a situation where, you know, they have two million pounds at their disposal and they go, now, shall we invest this money in the future of the game or shall we pay ourselves huge bonuses? <laughs> and guess which one they chose, guys. Um, and, you know, people at the ECB can go, well, the, you know, the bonuses were written into contracts created years ago. And But look, there was nothing to stop you know, the people that received those bonuses at the time they received them going, no, I don't want them, I hand them back. It's not right yeah. to take that at the moment. That £2 million should go into the game. Now, we can debate, you know, where that £2 million might actually have gone. And I can just certainly hear uh, fans of the men's county teams going, well, that's that £2 million should be coming to us. Um, you know, and obviously women's cricket fans are going, well, some of that should be coming to us as well. And you can have that debate. But at the end of the day, that £2 million has gone into the pockets of senior executives at the ECB. And that feels like money that, you know, really should have been invested in the future of the game. Definitely go and read Bonnie Rono's piece in The Guardian yesterday. It's available online as well. Guardian.co.uk. Uh, okay. Um, so right. that's kind of the the A side of things. Um, let's talk about the main ashes, Sid. Uh, it's we have to. <laughs> what what situation are we currently in as we record this podcast, Sid? Well, it's not a good one. Right? <laughs> no. As somebody once said, there are good days and school days. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 not it's not been much fun from an England perspective. I mean, we had obviously the end of the test last weekend, and you know England put in a positive performance in the in the last innings, and Feels they like nearly nearly got there. But feels like quite a long time ago, doesn't it? After yeah. these first two ODIs, and we've had two kind of disasters in the first two ODIs, really, haven't we? Um, what have you made of those of those two matches, Raf? As, as you've you know been propping your eyes open with matchsticks. <laughs> Well, you say disasters. I think on both occasions, um, England's bowlers have really stepped up. Um, it was the batters that really let England down in that first ODI, chasing um, a you know a really low total. You're not going to get much lower against Australia, are you? And they should have made those runs, and they didn't. Um, and then um, in the second ODI today, um, it was all about um, you know England's batters um, totally failed to set. A competitive total um, and so there's not a huge amount you can do with that as a bowler they did their best they took what was it six wickets in the end um, so you know I know that there were a lot of balls remaining but if they'd had like 40 or 50 more runs to work with then um, we could have been looking at a different result um, so I think okay, so let's the, talk about the bowling in specific yeah. then Raph what you know what are the positives we're, we're looking at there well it's been all Kate Cross hasn't it um, obviously there was a lot of talk about Catherine Brunt um, having bowled so well in the test um you know personally i think that kate cross bowled brilliantly in the test and was really unfortunate not to pick up any wickets um i think in these first two odis um she's bowled brilliantly 
Um, she's been showcasing um, what we saw a bit of, bit from her um, in our English summer against India and New Zealand in those two bilateral series. Um, she's been doing it again out in Australia against the best in the world. Um, she's been really worrying and nagging, consistently bowling um, a, a good length to the Australian batters um, and really troubling them and um, getting really good seam movement as well that's really tricky to face um, and actually just seems to have so much control over the way that yeah, she's moving the seam. Yeah, fantastic ball today to get Meg Lanning out through by yeah. bowling her through the gate. So Meg Lanning's becoming her bunny. Yeah. I believe the term so that's not a bad bunny to have in your bag um, so that's been brilliant um, from Kate Cross and we actually had um, a uh, a tweet um, aimed at us um, I think this was during the first ODI from Michael Perkins um, basically highlighting the advances that Kate Cross has made in the last 12 months and saying what do we put those improvements down to um, so what do you think Sid? Well, I think it's it's a, it's a really good question. I think that there's a big parallels between Kate Cross and Alana King, mm. so who's made uh, three different debuts for Australia in the space of a few days. Yeah. Um, someone mentioned this on commentary. Apparently, Sarah Taylor made her debuts um, more quickly than this, but it's the second quickest from the first debut to the third. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Alana, what Alana King's done over the years. So Alana King was always capable of having you know a, a great three or four balls and. Um, you know, bowling a, a, a good spell, but she was wildly inconsistent. But what she, the position she's got to is that she's kind of cut out all the bad balls. She really understands her game really well. She understands exactly what she needs to do. Uh, she takes the plans on board. She bowls for the plans, and you know she'll bowl you know five and a half good balls every single over. Um, and Kate Cross really very similar. So she's obviously like developed a maturity that gives her a, you know, a real genuine understanding of her game. She's cut out the bad balls. She's only bowling you know good balls. And it's being really effective, and it's showing that you know a quick bowler doesn't have to just be fast. That if you can bowl very consistently, it's the, it's the same plan that's you know allowed James Anderson in the men's team to carry on. You know, way beyond where anyone would reasonably expect him to be able to, because you know he really knows his own game very mm. well and bowls to the plans mm. and you know, keeps sticking to those the right lines and lengths for each batter. I have to say, I think that there's something um, mentally. Um, that's been important to Kate Cross's improvement as well. Um, it does feel like having listened to her quite a lot on the Nobles podcast, um, talking about her struggles with mental health, um, and um, you know that that's been quite a, a difficult, tricky issue for her over the last few years. Um, and obviously, if you're not um, kind of if you don't feel that you're um, bowling well, then then for her, she kind of gets into her own head and she bowls worse. Whereas if she has a few um, good performances, then she um, thinks, oh, I'm actually kind of worth my place in the team and she bowls better. Um, and obviously we always say cricket's a mental game as well, but I think there are some players that it's especially a mental game for. And I think she's one of them. Um, and, um, you know, potentially some credit actually to Heather Knight and Lisa Kitely have clearly said to her and communicated to her over the last, you know, six months or so, saying, actually, we think that you're really worth your place in the ODI 11. We want you to be our first change bowler um, and we want you to do this role and we think you can do it. And I think somehow that's given her the mental confidence that she's that she's needed and she has absolutely stepped up to it because yeah. if you look at her career up to you know up to like 2019 when she was kind of dropped from the from the one day side she averaged one wicket per game since her return she's averaging two wickets per game um, and you know that's just like shows the the, the another level that she's moved to so yeah, it's really definitely. great news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've kind and everyone of... else has bowled well, haven't they? As well, Raf. It's not. It's not just Kate Cross. Is it? And your you know, been on top of her game as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so the Australian commentators, some of them seem to be quite surprised at the amount of swing that she's getting. But that's that's Anja Shrubsoe at her best. Um, she swings it probably more than anyone in the world, certainly more than any of the Australian bowlers. I guess that um, Shika Pandey might have something to say about about that. Um, but yeah, no, she's she's been good as well. Um, and we've already kind of mentioned um, Catherine Brunt. Um, doing so well in the test um, it looks like I mean she was rested for today's ODI and it looks like to me that she's probably going to be rested for the third one as well because they are kind of a little bit concerned about um, about the, the forthcoming World Cup and trying to keep her um, in trim for that um, so we'll have to see what happens um, but yeah so we've we've kind of taken the positives there Sid as much as we probably can and I do think that we should deal with the not so positives which is the batting isn't it yeah, it's not been great, has it? As, um, as you know, particularly in the um, in the last two ODIs. Um, where are we at with that? Gosh, well, okay. So there's been a lot of talk on social media about Lauren Winfield, and I think we should address that first of all. Um, you know, and I, I do first of all want to say what I repeat what I said on Twitter that you know that this is absolutely nothing personal against Lauren Winfield. Lauren Winfield is absolutely a stand-up person. Um, she's a great person to have you know on the team. She's a great person to have on your side. She's a great mate to people. Um, and just you know a really nice human and that's one of the things that makes this this all quite difficult and you, mm. you kind of but you know she has been struggling and it's been an awful long time since she's passed 50 for England that's 2016 since she last passed 50 for England she's had nearly 50 50 innings um, to in order to try and pass that mark since and she hasn't done so um, but I want to just point out that actually this is really isn't about Lauren Winfield um, because Everybody has failed in this one-day series. Yeah. So you know, yes, yes, Lauren Winfield hasn't done great, but Tammy Beaumont's failed, Heather Knight's failed, um, uh, Sophia Dunkley's failed, Amy Jones has failed, um, Nat Siver has failed even. Um, you know, Nat Siver, yeah, Nat she Siver did. reached 40 in the first game, yeah. but you know, she that was a 40 where she really needed to push on. That's what Beth Mooney did, which is actually the difference between the two teams in the first game. Okay. So England's batting unit have really let everything down, and it just feels like a bit of an inversion because you know, last summer we were feeling so confident about the batting unit, and they were they were looking so good, um, but you know, they've kind of tripped over fallen flat on their faces in Australia and you know we're going to go into the World Cup it looks like with you know a very difficult kind of situation hanging over them um, you know is there anything they can do about it um, you know Emma Lamb obviously is an option to come in I mean they've left themselves with that option but will they use or it or Eve Jones as a left hand well yeah Eve Jones actually also has something to offer I think that, that um, you know well full credit to, to Eve Jones for everything she's achieved and upping her game in the past few years I think that Emma Lamb would have a right to feel very aggrieved if Eve Jones was brought in and she wasn't yeah but it's that but, it's that left hand or right hand yeah. thing isn't it that England haven't had since yep, they do Greenway is, retired there is something to that and so you know that, that that's that's another option obviously both of those choices would basically I think mean that uh, it would be Lauren Winfield that would give way but it's actually not about Lauren Winfield it's about the whole batting unit hasn't been clicking you know maybe they will come together in New Zealand and they will click but right now it's it's feeling like they're definitely overwhelmingly the second best side in the world yeah not there the were first. A, there were a couple of comments on my piece today that I'm just going to read out which speak to that point um one was from the Red Rose Renegade um who says the plain fact was emphasized by Ebony Rainford Brent on the preamble to the match on BT ability wise the difference between Australia and England is not huge however the desire grit and guts to win between the individuals in the teams is hugely different England seem too timid and especially the batters who don't seem to be able to stick in and say you get me out and frequently surrendered their wickets either by sitting back and getting LBW or playing irrational attacking shots instead of pushing the ball around 
and gathering runs. Yeah, I mean, the one person that was doing that was Sophie Eccleston, who actually has enhanced her batting reputation. Um, and, yeah, so it was a good point. Yeah. yeah, but when you're relying on your... What was she batting at, number nine? That's not great. Um, then there was a, a slightly shorter comment, um, but um, a great one from the Faith Flow, who says, England batting, looking tired and uninspired. That's also how I feel watching these ODIs. Um, imagine going into quarantine feeling flat as a pancake really needs something from the last ODI and that's obviously a bit of a concern um, that after this series they're going to be going into their 10 days hard quarantine in New Zealand Um, and I've talked about this before um, on the podcast that actually um, it's all about um, that kind of mental feeling that you take into the quarantine and if you're going into it feeling really flat and demoralised and um, and uh, like Australia have just kind of um, crapped all over you <laughs> I was nearly going to say a rude word then um, then that's not great going into the World Cup and, and that, that really is a concern um, another question here um, just to maybe look to wrap things up um, from Michael Perkins will we look back at this Australian team since the 2017 World Cup as a truly great side which is also raising England's game Sid what do you make of that? Uh, I, th- I think that are they a truly great side? They need to win a World Cup to prove it. But well, give it a couple of months and they will have, and then give it another couple of months and I think that they will have won a Commonwealth Games gold medal as well. Um, I think that there's no doubt that we will look back on this Australian team as um, a great side. Um, and I think, as I've said earlier in the in the episode, um, actually, um, partly that does come down to the incredible investment that there's been in their domestic structure. Um so, yeah, I, I think that we have to take that into account. But, yeah, I think there's no doubt that we'll look back um, <laughs> um, on this Australian side as a great one. Um, have, do they, does that mean that um, they're raising England's game? To be honest, to me, it feels a little bit like the opposite, that actually there's something about Ashes cricket and this Australian side where England get into their heads and they just don't play in the confident way that they play against any other side in the world somehow. They just don't believe they can win at the moment. No, that, that was really in the body language today. It was it was really most unfortunate that you know they just looked like a side that had already accepted that this was this this was absolutely all over and they wished they were somewhere else. Unfortunately, well, they'll be in New Zealand in a quarantine hotel soon enough. <laughs> okay, well, we've got one more ODI to go, so maybe England can salvage something from that. Um, fingers crossed. Um, otherwise, that's it from us for now. See you in a week's time. Bye. Bye.